Oh, yeah. I was wondering if you guys were going to look good tonight, and you do. Welcome to Young Adults. You guys having a good night? Having a good night? Excited to be alive? Anybody else excited that you live in Colorado and not Indianapolis? Ugh. <laughs> I can say that. I grew up there. It's okay. Don't worry. Yes. All right. I'm not bitter. Just because they took the Broncos' undefeated season away from us, that's okay. They need that. They live in Indiana. It's okay. We just happen to live in one of the coolest places in the world right next to the Rocky Mountains, so we're doing okay for ourselves, all right? Welcome to Young Adults. Um, if I have not met you, my name is Doug Weckenman, and tonight, if you are taking notes, and I highly recommend taking notes, especially all you single fellas in here because the ladies love the note-takers. At least I think. My wife loves the note-takers. Or she takes notes. Uh, one of those is true. But in high school, ladies loved the football players and the musicians, but now high school no longer matters. And 95% of Christian men play the acoustic guitar, so you need to find yourself a new way to stand out. And taking notes might just be that way, whether you know what's going on or not, just draw pictures. I don't care. Back when I first met Sam, I had no idea what I was doing with Christianity. I wanted to, but I just kind of pretended to know what I was doing, took notes, and now she's my wife. And that's the moral of that story. So tonight, because you're taking notes, the title of the message tonight is How to Change the World. Look at your neighbor and say, I know how to change the world. You don't yet, but you're going to find out. <laughs> hey, Jesse talked about last week a little bit how our country, our world really is currently in a leader crisis. And when I say leader crisis, I don't mean a crisis for more leaders who want to make a name for themselves and want a platform and want the megaphone and want everybody to follow them and are really good at pointing out everything that's wrong with everything and are good at criticizing the efforts of others. Like, we don't need any more of those people. We have enough. All of those slots are already full, just in case you're wondering. What our world needs more of, our leaders, and this is going to sound cliche, but it's going to be true, is leaders who will lead like Jesus did. Leaders who are going to lead like Jesus did, who are going to lower themselves by elevating other people around them, which is a lot more challenging, but a lot more beautiful, and actually has the ability to, to change our world. And um, Leaders who look like Jesus can look like a thousand different things. I mean, in this room right now, we've got 700 young adults with 700 different gifting sets, 700 different dreams and visions and interests, and that's an awesome thing. That's exactly how it's supposed to be. I read this quote on Barna.org, which is a sweet website if you want to check it out this week. Listen to this. This is really cool. Western individualism is primarily focused on fulfilling wants and desires, but biblical individualism, which is what we're going for here, is about using what we have been given for the benefit of others. It's about fulfilling our unique function, function contribution, and calling. King David beautifully articulates in many of his psalms how intimate God's love is for each of us as individuals. And centuries later, in his letters to the Corinthians and to the Romans, Paul emphasizes the great diversity of gifts and functions that exist in the body of Christ. And he also points out how each individual's contribution, so the contribution of everybody in this room, is indispensable and vital for the benefit 
of everybody else in this room for the whole body. A final reality communicated in the parable of the talents and again in the book of Revelation is that each of us will stand before the Lord and give an account of what we did with what we were so generously given, which is an individual experience. And so my prayer tonight for you guys has been that you would feel almost permission tonight to pursue being the leader that you were created to be, not to pursue the leader that your friend was created to be or that your brother or sister or that Judah Smith was created to be, but to pursue the leader that God knit you together in your mother's womb to be because there's a plan and a purpose behind your life. I don't know if you know that, but the creator of the universe has a plan and a purpose for you and he's designed you with certain skills, certain traits, certain things about you that are quirky, certain everything about you. You're, you're not an accident. You were planned to fulfill certain roles that he's given you. And so my prayer tonight is that you would feel permission to pursue your calling of leadership in your life. And that's going to look different for every single one of us. But there is one persona that all of us, no matter where we lead or how exactly we lead, there's one persona that all of us are going to pursue. And that persona is the persona of Jesus Christ. No matter what domain you find yourself in, what job, what, whatever you find yourself in, you, you're called to lead the way that Jesus did. We are called, that is God's calling to us. And, and I heard a, a pastor by the name of Scott Nickel. He's the teaching pastor up at Flatirons. He's brilliant. I love listening to him. Um, but he, he was talking about Jesus's style of leadership and how it can be summed up with one story um, during the final supper, which is Jesus's last meal before his death. And so this is his party, his celebration, a night that probably should be all about him. And he's there with his best buddies, his 12 disciples. And um, Jesus knows what's going to happen as soon as dinner's over. He knows what's coming for him. And his disciples are probably a little confused, as they always seem to be a little bit confused, but also kind of a little aware that something bad is going to go down as soon as dinner is over. And the disciples, like they usually do, somewhere in the beginning of the night, the beginning of the scene, they start arguing and bickering with each other about which one of them is the greatest, about which one of them is the best in front of Jesus, who is the greatest. And they're arguing about who's the coolest, who's the best, who's going to sit next to Jesus one day in heaven. And while this is going on, Jesus kind of takes his place in the back of the scene and sort of lets it play out. And he knows that he's hours away from getting arrested and getting humiliated publicly and getting, be getting beaten and, and flogged and then eventually crucified so that he can die for humanity, including me and including you and including his 12 friends who are currently arguing over which one of them is the best and are moments away from deserting him as soon as things go south. And, and what Jesus does quietly behind the scenes is he just gets down onto his knees and grabs a basin of water and begins to wash his friend's feet, his disciples' gross, disgusting feet. He begins to wash them. And I don't know how long it takes for the disciples to stop arguing with each other to realize what's going on, but I like to imagine that moment when they finally stop and realize what Jesus is doing. And in that moment, do you think there's any question in anybody's mind as to who the leader in the room is at that moment? There's no question. It's the guy on the ground with the basin of water who's lowering, lowering himself to lift his friends up and serving his friends and washing their feet. And, and I don't know how you do something like that moments before you know that you're going to be tortured and crucified. 
I don't know, because he knew what was coming. He knew what the plan was. And I don't know how in a moment like that, you take the opportunity to use your life and your influence to comfort the rest of the people in the room. John 13, 12 through 14 says this. After washing their feet, he put on his robe again and sat down and asked, do you understand what I was doing? Do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow, so do as I have done to you. I'm showing you how to lead. I'm the teacher. You're the students. Now just do as I do. And here's the understatement of the year. That's a little bit easier said than done to lead the way that Jesus leads. But as Christians, that's God's calling on our lives is to do that. Look at 1 John 2, 6. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. So we're called to strive to live our lives the way that Jesus did. We're his disciples. He's the teacher. The word Christian actually means little Christs. That's what we are called to be. And And once again, easier said than done. And so I don't usually think in terms of like step-by-step instructions on how to do things. But this week I did, and and I came up with uh, what I like to call the instructions for how to change the world. And here's what they are, just in three steps. Know Jesus, lead like Jesus, change the world. You got it? All right, let's pray. I'm kidding. Let's go through it. Let's just start with the beginning. Know Jesus, lead like Jesus, change the world. Let's start with know Jesus. Does anybody in here have a little brother or sister? When you were little, they just wanted to do everything that you did, like they wanted to be exactly like you were and hang out with your friends and follow you, and they dressed like you dressed, and they ate, they they ordered what you ordered at whatever restaurant you went to. Or maybe you were the little brother or sister who did that to your, you, you wanted to be exactly like they were. Well, Aaron Klingenberg, a lot of you guys know who he is. He's one of the interns on staff right now, and uh, he's the man. And Aaron has a little brother, Ethan, who's about 11 years old, and Ethan is also the man. And Ethan got baptized this past weekend. Um, Yeah. Probably because he saw Aaron get baptized at some point. I'm kidding. Ethan, Ethan's like the coolest little guy that I know. He got baptized, and I don't know if he wants to do absolutely everything he sees his older brother doing, but I do know that he looks like this. That's Aaron and that's Ethan. Like, am I going crazy or like, to me, that's the same human being separated by 10 years. (laughs) And that's proof that like the point I'm trying to make is the more you're around somebody, the more that you follow somebody around, you study them, you love them, you just want to know them, the more you start to look like that person the more your, your life starts to reflect that person. And the point I'm trying to make is the same thing is true with Jesus. And really the key to, to leading like him is, is knowing him. Knowing Jesus is the key to everything. The more that you come to know him, the more you come to lead like him. You can't lead like somebody that you don't know. You can't love somebody that you don't know. And in case you are uh, new to Christianity, there's a big difference between knowing things about Jesus and knowing Jesus. Knowing things about Jesus will make you feel smart and help you win arguments. Knowing Jesus will change your life. Knowing Jesus will change your life. And that's the beautiful thing that separates Christianity from other major world religions is God has actually made a way for us to know him. Look at 1 John 5.20. And we know that the Son of God has come and he has given us understanding so that we can know the true God. 
given us understanding so that we can know the true God. And now we live in fellowship with the true God because we live in fellowship with the Son, Jesus Christ. He is the only true God, and he is eternal life. And so if we could just get really, really practical just for a few minutes about knowing God. I heard a a teacher... One of my favorite Bible teachers, a guy by the name of John Leach, he's the lead pastor of Jubilee Fellowship Church in Highlands Ranch, which some of you guys go to. I know that. I love John. Um, He just speaks to your heart when he talks. And um, he taught knowing Jesus this way, and it always just kind of clicked for me. And um, anyways, like as a pastor, I have a lot of conversations with people about their faith, obviously. And um, and one conversation I, I always have is I'll be talking to people and they'll tell me that like, yeah, man, just feel spiritually, quote unquote, dry. Just feel dry right now, man. Just like distant from God. I feel like he's not listening. I feel like I can't hear from him. Just going through a little bit of a spiritual desert right now. And sometimes that's the life of a Christian. We walk through spiritual deserts and the Bible does not shy away from that. But understand also that God wants you to know him. God wants you to draw near to him, and he wants to draw near to you. Once again, that's one of the points of Jesus, so that we can know the true God. And so in those conversations, I'll always know what the answers to these questions are going to be. I'll say, okay, I'm sorry to hear that. Are you, uh, how's your prayer life going? Oh, you know, it's kind of crappy lately. I mean, I'm dr- it's dry right now, you know, so it's kind of hard to be, cons- okay. Are you reading the Bible at all? Yeah. Are you, though? All right, not really. Okay. Shock, shock. You journaling at all? Oh, well, you know, I used to, but not really. Oh, okay. Have you tried fasting or anything? Well, that's kind of for, you know, super Christians, kind of an old school thing. Okay. All right. Like, I know what the answers are going to be every single time. And I get it. Like, I've been there so many times in my life. That's just reality because we're human beings. Consistency is hard. And I get it. But one thing I always say when I'm in, con- I'm sorry. I'm just so, I'm so, th- does somebody have water? I'm so thirsty. Preston, do you have water? Thanks, buddy. That's embarrassing. I should have brought one of these up with me. Thanks, man. And so when I'm in conversations like that, one of the th- <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm so, do you have another water, man? Hey, thanks, buddy. Perfect. This is really going to help me. So like I was saying, one thing I, oh, gosh, I'm sorry, I'm so thirsty, man. Give me another water. Perfect. So I always say when I'm in conversations with people about being spiritually, I'm sorry, I like, this isn't, do you have one more? This is really going to help me out, dude. Thank you very much. Give it up for Preston, you guys. Thank you. probably really like for me to take a sip of one of these water bottles, huh? The point I'm making, in case you you didn't pick up on it, these water bottles don't do me any good unless I pick them up and I open them and I drink them. Don't do me any good unless I do that. It's kind of silly for me to stand up here and talk about being thirsty, talk about being my mouth being dry and asking for more water bottles when I'm not going to open any of them that are given to me so that I actually take a sip. And here's what I mean. There are certain fundamentals when it comes to knowing Jesus more, that all of us know. All of us know the fundamentals, things like talking to him. Hard to know somebody if you don't talk to them. Reading the Bible where he can speak back to you. Joining a life group and actually going so that he can speak back to you through other people. Giving and then watching him do crazy things through our generosity. Journaling, serving, fasting, Whatever it is, there's basic 
fundamentals. And those fundamentals are, are your water bottles. If you feel thirsty, open them and start drinking them. If you want to know Jesus more, practice the fundamentals. It's like there's nothing that's rocket science about knowing Jesus more. We all know these things. And, and here's the thing, and I'm just as guilty because we're young adults, especially in a day and age where new movies and videos and books and, and songs are coming out every single day. Hashtag purpose, Justin Bieber album tomorrow. All right. They're coming out every single day. And, and as young adults, man, we just we want to be like wowed with the next new revelation about God. We want, teach me something new about God that I don't know. I want, I want the next emotional high of, of being wowed. You know what I mean? Like that's us as young adults and I, I completely get it. But understand something. You growing closer to God, you growing in truth is not always found in the next new sermon or new series or new book or new album. You growing in truth and knowing God more is inseparably linked to you being obedient and practicing the truth that you already know. There's there's the fundamentals, man, that we already know. There's nothing rocket science. It's just us being consistent with actually doing it. So it's opening the water bottles that you already have. So if you've ever thought, man, there has just got to be more out there. I feel like there's just more out there and I don't know what it is. You feel that way because there is more. And secondly, because you were created to experience it. I promise you were. And, and these water bottles, these fundamentals are like little doors where you can wake up every single day, step through those doors into knowing the creator of the universe in a more full way, to know Jesus more personally and to, to step into this life to the full that he has made a way for us to experience. So do not neglect the fundamentals, you guys. Do not never neglect the fundamentals because fundamentals lead to us knowing Jesus more. And us knowing Jesus more leads to number two on our instructions for how to change the world, which is this, lead like Jesus. John 13, 14, once again, I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I'm actually thirsty. Hold on. I was going to stand up here and just chug all of these over the period of three minutes and not say anything just to make a point, but I won't. Lead like Jesus. At the Freedom Retreat a month ago, okay, yes, Freedom Retreat, Connor and I led a breakout session for any of the guys who wanted to show up to just be real. Fellas, yes, let me hear it. For any of the guys who just wanted to show up to be real about biblical masculinity, which is not easy. And one of the guys asked a great question that I'll never forget. He raised his hand and he said, Doug, uh, um, from your perspective as a guy who's married and Connor, from your perspective as a guy who's engaged, what would you tell me to work on now to get ready to be there one day? Because I'm single right now, but here's the thing. I want so badly to be a good husband one day. I want to be a good dad one day. I want to be a great leader wherever I am one day. Why are you laughing? Did I say something? No. I want to be a great leader one day. So what, what advice would you give me now so that I can be a great leader then? And ladies, you can ask yourselves the same questions. Like what can I do today to be a good wife or a good mom then? What can I do now to be a stronger leader then? What can I work on now practically and tangibly so that I can be the best leader that I can be at a later point? I think it's the ultimate question, especially for a, a room full of future game changers and maybe current game changers. 
and kingdom builders. And, and I've been uh, thinking and praying about this all week. I genuinely, truly believe that the answer is this. Start being that leader right now. If you want to be that leader one day, start being that leader tonight. Lead now how you want to lead then. Act now how you want to act then. Guys, like if I could just get real for a second, because I know all of us, when we close our eyes, we all have visions of the men that we want to be one day, of the dads we want to be, of the husbands we want to be. Like we have visions of us leading a church or leading a company one day. And I promise you, in that vision of yourself in the future, you're not addicted to porn. You're not addicted to cigarettes in your future version of yourself. You're not addicted to Percocet. You're not going out on the weekends and getting, getting hammered every single weekend. Your vision of yourself as a 45-year-old man is not the 45-year-old guy at 24-hour fitness still checking out all the girls. I have that guy at my gym, and I feel sorry for him. I do. When you close your eyes and you envision yourself in the future, none of those things are there. And so what I would say now is start acting now how you want to act then because those things don't go away just because you get married. Those things don't go away just because you become a dad or you become a mom. Those things don't go away just because an opportunity of leadership knocks on your door one day or a promotion comes one day. And so like Jesse said last week, be an unreasonable person and at whatever length you have to go to lay down the strongholds in your life because what you struggle with now, you will struggle with then unless you change what you struggle with now, now. You will lead then how you lead now. You will act then how you act now. So lead now how you want to lead then and act now how you want to lead, act now how you want to act then. In the Bible, we get a great example of this in, you guessed it, Jesus. And we don't get many examples of Jesus' young adult years in the Bible. In Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, pretty much all it is is Jesus as little baby Jesus. And then fast forward to when Jesus' ministry starts right around the age of 30. And, um, but really nothing in between except for chapter 2 in the Gospel of Luke. And it's when Jesus is 12 years old. It's kind of funny, really interesting to read about 12-year-old Jesus if you want to read about that this week. But at the very end of that chapter, it finishes with a verse, verse 52, and then it kind of comes to a close with Jesus' adolescence and then doesn't pick up again until he's 30 and his ministry actually, actually starts. And Luke chapter 2, verse 52 says this, And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Jesus spent his young adult years growing in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. And understand, that's not passive growing. That's not, I just grow passively and those kinds of things just naturally happen to me. There's nothing passive about that. That's 100% active growing of Jesus practicing the fundamentals in his life and Jesus leading then how he wanted to lead when he was 30 years old and acting then how he wanted to act when he was 30. Because if we become a generation man that can lead like Jesus, then we truly will be a generation that, number three in our instructions, actually changes the world. And Ben, you guys can come back out. On the, uh, on the day that Jesus died, everybody in the small circle of people who knew him probably thought that whatever impact or footprint that he had left on society would gradually fade away. 
because that's just what happens when people die. We remember them, but whatever impact that they leave on the world slowly starts to lessen starting the moment that their funeral is over. And that's just life. That's just reality. And that has held true for every single person who has ever walked the face of this earth except for one person. Have you ever thought about that? For every person that's ever lived, that is true except for one. It is now 2,000 years later and Jesus' following is stronger than it has ever been before. His footprint that he left on this planet has completely flipped this planet upside down, which is probably why he drives so many secular historians crazy. Because you got to do something with this man, Jesus, no matter who you believe he was or who you believe he is, because you cannot doubt that he existed. And you can also not doubt that the moment following his death, the movement that he started exploded out in every single direction to every continent and to this very day is rapidly growing. John Ortberg would say that he is, the, he is history's most familiar figure, that he has had inspiration and influence on everything that has happened with art and education and medicine and government and science. He's had influence on all five of those domains without even meaning to have that. He's taught Christians and non-Christians alike things like hope and forgiveness and compassion. His name, Jesus Christ alone, is a double-edged sword. That's why he bugs the crap out of so many people who don't believe that he's the son of God. Have you ever thought about that? Like when you talk about Jesus Christ, it's never a neutral topic. It's either welcomed warmly or it's bitterly rejected. But it's never neutral It's never neutral. It's desperate people use his name to pray. Grateful people use his name to worship. Angry people use his name to cuss. He truly has left such an impact on this world. He is the man who will not go away. Jesus will not go away no matter how badly people want him to go away. He has forever changed this world. And Christians who lead like him and who live like him and who are raw and talk and walk the way that they talk and who are the real thing have changed this world when they lead and act like him as well. This is just a small sample of a long list of examples that I could give you. But it's Christians who started hospitals. It, like when When plagues or sicknesses or famines break out in towns or villages or cities and leave people desperate and leave little kids without moms and dads, it's Christians who, despite the danger, respond with medicine. And it's Christians who build orphanages for those kids or adopt those kids or set up programs that that find sponsors for those kids so that they can have normal lives. You know, Martin Luther King Jr., he was a Christian. William Wilberforce, he was a Christian. Sir Isaac Newton, the founding fathers, they were Christians. I could go on with that list for days, but I won't. On January 12, 2010, an earthquake hit Haiti and killed about 300,000 people. And it was the majority Christians who responded with help immediately. And to this day, it's pretty much only Christians who have remained for lasting help. It's pretty much only Christians who have stuck around and that same theme has held true for every natural disaster in history ever since Jesus walked on this planet. And I don't know about you, but that makes me proud and that gets me a little fired up to know him more so that I can lead like him more so I can be a part of a movement that truly has the ability to change the world because Jesus followers who lead like Jesus truly can change the world. And that's what I wanna be a part of and I wanna do it with you guys.
And I'll finish with this, and this is just, this is fantastic news to me, but God's plan of redemption is not dependent on you or me. It's not dependent on whether or not you decide to take this seriously or not. You could sleep away the rest of your life and God's gonna be just fine with his plan. He is perfectly content within himself. He tells the universe what to do and it does it. Nobody challenges him. He doesn't need you. But here's the beautiful reality in which we live right now and here's what you have to get. He wants you. Doesn't need you. But man, does he want you. Because his story of redemption is unfolding right in front of us as we speak. And he wants you as an active agent of that redemption to play a part in his story, in history. To get wrapped up in his great adventure of redemption. God wants, wants you. And I'm not just talking about salvation. I'm talking about beyond salvation once you've been saved. I'm talking about the fullness of life that is found in his story and getting caught up in that, in his dream. God wants you. So when it comes to being a world changer or a kingdom builder or a leader who leads the way like Jesus does, take comfort now in the fact that you no longer have to. You don't have to. You get to. Man, if we were the generation who gets to. Because when you're freed up from feeling like you have to and understand that you get to, now you actually can do. We get to lead like Jesus and use our lives and use our resources, use our talents, use our homes, use our cars, use our jobs to lower ourselves the way that Jesus did to lift others in our lives up. Those are the kind of leaders that our world so, 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 so desperately need. We're in a leader crisis for those kinds of leaders. And so the question is, will you do that? Will you know him? Fundamentals. So that you can lead like him. So that you can truly be a part of something that actually has the ability to outlive your life and your funeral and my funeral and change this world. To use your life and take your resources, your platform that he gives you, whatever the numbers are on your paycheck, whatever it is, however big my house is one day, will I use those things to elevate other people in my life Will I use those things the way Jesus would use those things if he were me? How would Jesus use the things that you have in your life if he were you? Because if you do that, if we do that, man, then years from now, one day, history books and Christian authors and filmmakers, they'll tell stories about what this generation did for this world in the name of Jesus Christ, the one and only true leader of the pack. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, thank you for this group of people. Thank you, God, that you don't need us, but that you want us. 
Father, I pray for everybody in here, God, would you give them the endurance, I guess, to practice the fundamentals in, your li- in their lives to know you more, to study you more, to want more of you, God. There truly is nothing better to have than more of you. And you've given us those water bottles. You've given us those doors, those routes to have that. Teach us how to use all of those things to the max in our lives. Teach us how to lead now the way that we want to lead one day. Teach us how to be the men and women now that we want to be one day when we're married or when we're moms and dads. Or when we're CEOs or when we're teachers or police officers or whatever it is. God, teach us how to be those people now. And teach us how to come together to join this awesome lineage of people who have changed the world because they've led like your son. Laying our lives down goes against the grain inside of us. I feel it every day. And I know I'm not alone. So help us do that. And for every person individually in here, God, I pray that you would give every single person in here permission to pursue the leader that you created them to be. And not see like one persona of leadership and feel like they have to be that, but God, show them, each person in here, show each person what you have for them, the path and the plan that you have for them, what you've already wired inside of them to allow them to pursue that path. For people in here who feel like they don't have a calling, they don't have dreams, they don't have passions, God, would you, would you do what only you can do and give that? I'm asking right now in the name of Jesus Christ that you would give callings and passions and dreams to people in here who feel like they have never had them. And for the people that do, just make them more and more real and more and more alive and more and more in color and HD. God, we love you so much. God, this this ministry, this group of people, this small town in this room is yours, God. We will do what you want, go where you want, talk to who you want, God, show us the way. Be our light as we're the light for Denver. Pray all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Hey, you guys, would you stand up? Let's sing some songs tonight. Love you guys.